The Foul Life Podcast is back. Another episode of Yukonuba Duck Dogs Podcast Series. We got Josh and Whitney, the founders and owners of Riverstone Kennels. I, I love these guys are awesome. Talking to them, married couple, raising and breeding, breeding and raising and training British Labs. They're duck hunters, waterfowl hunters, upland hunters. I know Josh's passion first and foremost is ducks and geese. Whitney loves upland and pheasant and grouse. They live in the state of Wisconsin. They travel all over the country with their dogs, with their kids. It was a great conversation. Thank you to Yukonuba for introducing us to Josh and Whitney and Riverstone Kennels. You're going to hear more podcast episodes like this in the near future with other kennels and re- retriever trainers and all sorts of dog trainers around the country. Yukonuba, the diet plan is second to none. The new Puppy Pro is amazing. We're fired up for it. Today's episode of the podcast is also brought to you by Sig Sauer. Protect your homes, protect your communities, protect your pets, your dogs, your children, your wives, your husbands, your nieces, your nephews. It's our right to bear arms. The Second Amendment allows us constitutionally your CCW, your concealed weapons permit, your open carry in some states. Do it with respect and dignity and make sure that safety is always number one. Always lock up your guns no matter what at your residences. Don't let an accident happen. Don't even let it sneak in the door at all. And speaking of sneaking in the door, keep protecting your homes. We have the right to do that. And Sig Sauer is there for us with all of their product, their rifles, their AR platforms, their handgun. I'm talking the best there ever was. That's why our military, our police officers around the world depend on Sig Sauer. I hope you guys enjoy this. Another episode of Yukonuba's Duck dog podcast with josh and whitney from riverstone kennels i'm chad belding thank you all for being here enjoy what what is it about labs that that get you fired up as far as like give give my listeners kind of an idea of i guess just being blunt the difference between a gsp or a pointer or you know the upland style dog and i know that there are some pointing labs and there's golden retrievers at point but let's just stick with american labrador retrievers do y'all work with british labs at all yeah we we breed british labs yep okay so y'all are british labs so let's just work with labrador retrievers as a whole why labs what gets you guys going as a married couple to make this your livelihood and kind of focus and concentrate on Labrador retrievers? Is it their disposition? Is it their personality? Is it their drive? Talk to the the, the listeners about why labs. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll let, uh, I'll let Whitney kind of go on her side of it. Cause I'm sure that you'll show a little different take than I will, but you know, for me, uh, there are a couple things, you know, first off, um, yeah, I think it was the breed that I started with, you know, when I was 16 years old and uh, I umpired little league games over a summer to save up my pennies and buy my first dog. You know, I was kind of the black sheep of my family where my family loved uh, hunting whitetails and I just loved ducks. And uh, so I wanted someone to do that with. And so I saved up my money and bought my first deal Labrador. Um, so, you know, being the first breed, I think was part of it. But then, you know, since then, you know, being that I now do this professionally and have been for the last 12 years, you know, we've trained all breeds, you know, from, you know, the, the you know, pointers to retrievers. And of course, retrievers, there's a lot of different breeds of retrievers. And then you have, you know, the versatile breeds, which the, you know, those are getting more and more popular. You know, but for me, um, you know, so I being a, a waterfall guy, you know, Whitney does a lot of upland, but yeah, I'm a waterfall guy. I'm a you know, duck hunter, you know, first and foremost, um, you know, they're built for what I do. And, uh, and I, I love, I love the drive part of it. I love the ability part of it. Um, but you know, for me, like, I'm not looking for, 
for a jack of all trades, you know, and I, I know that, you know, our Labradors, you know, can upland hunt as Whitney does, you know, upland hunt with them. Um, you know, but for me, like, you know, I'm not looking for, you know, the, the front end of a Corvette and the back end of a super duty and say, this is the best vehicle ever. Cause it can do everything right. Like I'm looking for, what do I do and what's the best fit for me? And for me, that's a Labrador. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It. Yeah. And from my point of view, you know, I'm a mom, we have little kids and when, I'm Josh is traveling, you know, he takes most of our sires, but we do have um, a couple females here. And just from a family aspect side, they're so good with our kids. They're so calm in the house. You know, we can take them running. We can take them pheasant hunting. We can do basically anything we want, travel with them. And they have just such a good temperament as a family member. And it's so important. Obviously Josh travels and hunts a lot. But it's also nice to have that same, you know, that family side to them as well. And they can have that on and off switch. I agree 100%. Josh and Whitney, Riverstone Kennel. So the headquarters is in Wisconsin. Is this correct? Yep. Wisconsin. Do you guys love cheese curds? Love them. They're the best. <laughs> did, the, did the Packers game upset you yesterday? Um, Very much so. It upset I, I saw a little bit of it in the, in the, um, airport and it looked like that rogers got hurt maybe his hand he looked he was shaking his hand quite a bit i don't know if he had any touch on the ball or what but um wisconsin i got to think of one more thing that i love about wisconsin bob euchre are we bob euchre fans oh yeah yeah right, we, good. we love the brewers so much that uh our kids will <laughs> recite the the sayings that um you know we have oftentimes being a small town team mm-hmm. we have like a law firm that you know, you know, law firm, you know, one call, that's all. Our kids will walk around and be like, one call, that's all. You know, like, so they have the, they have, we watch so much brewers, they have the uh, advertisements memorized. Yeah. <laughs> I love that park too. I've been to several games there and a couple Kenny Chesney concerts. What's it called now? I, it was Miller, Miller Park back when I was going to it. Is it the same? Yeah, well, we loved when it was Miller Park. Obviously. I don't even you know. know. I still but, call it Miller Park. <laughs> yeah, what is it now? It's, uh, I can't, I can't even I tell you. you. I, it'll always be Miller Park. Yeah. Is there any, is there anything better in the world, Josh and Whitney, than maybe a Friday morning or a Friday, maybe early, maybe a nine to 11 mallard hunt, or maybe a 10 to two mallard hunt. I love hunting mallard ducks in the middle of the day. I don't really like it in the dark. Um, and then a cold beer in Wisconsin with a fish fry. Like this is like the best type of life there could be for somebody, right? Totally. It's yeah. great. Yeah. I just wish the only thing for me is because I travel so much. Um, Wisconsin is, is an interesting place. Cause I think we can do, we have the luxury. We can do everything here in this state from, mm-hmm. you know, you want to shoot pheasants, shoot grouse, you know, white tails, we, you know, musky fish, fly fish, like you can do everything. Right. But I think you can make the argument muskies. Like there's nothing that like we're great at though, you know, like, okay. So we, we've got, you know, good white tails. Okay. Iowa's better. Right. We got, we have, okay, waterfall hunting, Dakotas are way better, right? We have, like, everywhere around us is, like, they, they're better at us than something. Like, we can do it all, but we don't have anything that we're fantastic at. We're a great four-season state. That's, I mean, that's we have right. all four very yeah. strong seasons. <laughs> that's about yeah. it. Winter being the strongest. <laughs> yeah. So I went, I filmed in Wisconsin for the first time last year, kind of close to Madison. I don't remember. I was Southeast of Madison a little bit. If I, if I remember right, but don't quote me on that. Um, 
a couple things that vividly stood out to me. The Canada goose hunt was legit, but before rifle deer season started, there were so many hunters in the field that it seemed that there was a lot of pressure on the birds through the time I was there in November. Plus, you had already been hunting them since September. And then the amount of rifle deer hunters. I saw road signs that were like, you know, like construction signs that were geared towards deer hunters. Be careful getting to deer camp. Like it was really cool to see somewhere around 600,000 hunters, they said, would be in the field on that opening day of rifle. The bars, the uh, the restaurants, the local area, you know, eateries and stuff that you see in so many small towns in Wisconsin, they're all supportive of it. So I really thought that really stood out to me that it really is a hunting state. There's a lot of support for hunting. Yeah, especially whitetail hunting. You know that. Am I? Am I? Am I? We can edit this part out. I don't know if it's my internet or your guys. Is your? Am I slowed down when I'm talking a little bit? Yeah, you are a little bit. You're just kind of here and there, though. Um, Yeah, that's better right there. Okay, perfect. So I'll I'll let you kind of cue it up again if you're going to edit that out. No, 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 no. That's good. You can just go. They'll be able to edit. They'll be able to edit that again. Okay. Yeah. You know, especially the, the whitetail, you know, honey, you know, the, the nine days of gun season around here is uh, it is like a holiday, you know, mm-hmm. it, it, maybe a little, it used to be a little more. So, I mean, I remember it was to the point that when I was in school um, growing up, like, I mean, half, half the school would be gone in the days leading up to deer season. And that week of deer season, I mean, half the school was gone and all the teachers just knew that that was going to happen. So they would, you know, they would all cater their, you know, their test or their homework so that it didn't hit that week. And so, um, I don't think it's still like that necessarily with how things have have all changed, but it's a, it's a big deal around here. And, you know, I've kind of gone through a phase of that to where, um, I used to hate it really, you know, just because, uh, Whitney and I are both, you know, big, uh, archery hunters. And so, and we really like, so we have our farm here and we really like to let these deer get mature, you know? So we, we watch them at two, watch them at three, and then maybe like four five, six is kind of that sweet spot of, okay, now we're going to look at maybe harvesting. And, uh, you know, they would, they'd all get shot in those nine days of, of gun season. Cause everybody around us would gun hunt. And of course, you know, those deer are not our deer, you know, they wander off the property. And so I used to hate it, but I do, um, I'm enjoying it a little more and more all the time, just due to the fact that uh, it's the tradition, right? I mean, it's the tradition of you are in an outdoor state. You know, there is that tradition of getting out there and, you know, the, the orange army is what, uh, what is referred to here in Wisconsin, you know, kind of goes out and, and hits it. So, um, yeah, I think, I think I have a, a kind of a deeper appreciation. It's a lot like for me, the best thing I can relate it to, uh, it is like duck opener down in Arkansas. Mm-hmm. I mean, where it is like, it's, it's a statewide deal. Yeah. It's sacred. It's like a, mm-hmm. not just tradition. It's, you know, like same with Turkey down in the South and Southeast, even dove hunts in Alabama or Georgia. Like it becomes more than a tradition. It becomes kind of the holy, the holy sacredness, if you will. Um, so back to how we transitioned out of that for a second, but labs are the best in my opinion. Obviously both of us share the common, all three of us share the love for waterfowl hunting. Um, be honest with me, Joshua Whitney. Is there one color better than the other? I don't think so. I mean, it's so funny because, you know, we breed and I love yellow puppies. Um, I just, I love that you can see like their jet black noses, the dark rings around their little eyelids and, you know, just those physical features when you, when they're tiny, it's so cute. But I, for some reason, I always... I don't know. I guess I, I feel like I gravitate towards black adult dogs, 
But then when I think about my dogs that I consider mine and I take hunting, they're all yellow. So I guess at the end of the day, there is no color better than the other, but I do love little yellow puppies. Just see Josh, I did, I did not hear your wife say anything about chocolate labs. Is there a reason <laughs> for this? Right. So, okay. So, so I'll try to, I'll try to answer this without getting into too much of a rant and you can yell at me, oh, Chad, God. if you're like, Hey, you're like, you're going down rabbit hole. No, I like, I like chocolate, lo- chocolate lab rants. Yeah. Well, so it's, it's okay. So here's my thing is that, um, we, we breed black and yellow, um, mainly because, uh, you know, with overseas and the British lab thing, I mean, that's, that's kind of the thing, you know, that chocolates are kind of pushed aside a little bit, especially in the, in the competition circle. Um, so you just find your best dogs in, in those two colors. But the thing for me is that when people are shopping specifically on color, this is where I think things start to go haywire, things go wrong, right? And so, um, you know, like a big thing that, that I talk about, and I feel like I can very genuinely talk about this because we have dogs that are this color, okay? So the whole red lab thing gets to me because, and we have dogs that are, you would consider red. And if you just use that, that color to identify the one you're talking about as the red one, okay, that's different. But if you are going out specifically looking for that color and that's the game, that's like the deal breaker is it has to be that color. I think you're going to lose oftentimes a lot of other things, right? So if you're, if like for a breeder, if you're only breeding for a color, there's other things that are going to go out the window, right? Like you're going to look through rose colored glasses and not be as, as critical on drive, on temperament, on ability, on trainability, on disposition. I mean, there's so many things here, health, major yeah. one that we need to be focused on to be, be producing the best puppies we can. Um, and sometimes like the worst thing that I like, it really gets to me, right? So like, you know, we have the whole silver lab thing now, um, you know, chocolates can be to this point. And my first, my first special dog that I ever you know, won or, or competed with was a chocolate. Okay. So I have nothing against chocolates. Um, but I hate when I, when you know, I talk to someone like us, oh, so why'd you get this color or why'd you get this breed is even worse is, uh, well, I, I, I wanted something different than what my buddies had. Right. So, okay. So why did you, why, you know, you, you needed a Labrador. Why did you get a wire hair or a short hair? Right. Well, because I wanted something different. Like to me, that's, that's the reason to get a different color car, not a breed of dog, right? Because there's just too many things that go into that. Um, and so I really push for, you know, do your homework on, on the pedigrees, do your homework on mom and dad, go see the dogs, watch them work. And we could get into the whole breeding aspect of like what you should be looking for, what you shouldn't be looking for. Cause I kind of straddled the fence on both sides of kind of the two schools of thought, um, but do your homework. Don't be going out there saying, I need to have you know, uh, a purple Labrador because you're going to only look at that then, right? Like you need to, you, to me, it's okay, black, yellow, doesn't matter. I want a dog that is going to be a duck dog for, you know, 25 days a year is going to go to the park and go to the baseball game, be a part of the family. Health is very important. Go through your needs and then let the uh let the color part of that's my my thought on it when it comes to the the picking of the puppy right is there is there any other dog that you guys would 
refer to a potential client, a potential customer. If they came in and said, like what you were just going on, Josh, like, hey, I am in the duck game, but I'm looking for something a little bit different. I had a lab. My last dog was amazing. I don't feel like I could ever replace, you know, Axel, whatever the dog's name is. My my black dad, my black lab's name is Axel. I hope nothing ever happens to him. I don't know why I picked that name. But do you? Is there any other breed, Josh and Whitney, that you would feel comfortable? Because you see a lot of these pictures. My my buddy that plays baseball for a profession has another breed. I don't want to get into it because he knows who I'm talking about probably when he listens to this. But is there really another breed is suitable? for waterfowl hunting that you guys would feel comfortable with saying, okay, if you don't want a lab, then let's go to this. Mm. Well, so, so here's my thought on this. And so we, you know, for over the last 12 years, you know, we've, gosh, I mean, I think I've trained almost any sporting dog breed that you could think of. And so um, I kind of have, you know, my own opinions of all that, but here's the thing. And I was told this by a mentor of mine a long time ago that everyone is, is, is at least to an extent, going to be a little prejudiced towards a certain breed, right? Like you're going to have your favorites. You're going to have your ones. Like, I just don't like that one. But if, even if you have your breeds, you don't like, like there is going to be a dog of that breed that makes you go, wow, I like that one. Right. So there's always going to be exceptions to the rule. And so the biggest thing for me is just finding what the right fit is for you. You know? So someone comes to me and they're like, look, I think I want a lab, but I really want a pointing dog. And I, you know, I waterfall hunt a couple times a year. I upland hunt the majority of time and pointing is really important to me. Okay. Labrador is not right for you. So let's find what is right for you. Right. Is it a short hair? You know, is it, I mean, we could go through you know, the, the breed list, you know, all day long, but let's find the right breed for you. Because the reality is, is that if you go, if you, and this is what we struggle with you know, at the kennel, if you're a lab guy, right? Like you've, you're a big waterfowler, you've had labs your whole life. That's what you're used to. And then you switch breeds again, just to do something different. And that breed or that dog doesn't meet your expectations. It's likely not the dog's fault, right? That breed was just not built for what you were used to or what you were wanting, right? And so really getting specific on what you're, and this is where you just have to be honest with yourself, right? What is it that I want? You know, is it, is it a, a you know, bona fide duck dog day in and day out? That's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for that grinder. Okay. Like Labrador is a great fit, you know, for you. Right. Yeah. I mean, we have some people, we actually have a dog in right now that this, this is a very, very good golden retriever, right? Like goldens are generally what we find to be, you know, softer. Um, people that have them tend to be the people that hunt a couple times a year. And it's a, it's a family dog the majority of the time. Right. But like, this one's good. You know, like this is a dog that's like, yeah, like this is one that could go out and be that grinder and be that dog every day. Not, it's not what they're looking for but the, the dog has that potential. Right. So, um, there's always exceptions to the rules, but I just think if for, there's a reason that the Labrador is the number one dog, right. Especially sporting breeds. It's because it checks all these boxes, right. And there's just not many other breeds. If any, I think you could argue that check the boxes that a Labrador does. Right. And my go-to is always, okay, well, if you, maybe you want something totally different. Well, if you have a black lab, then why not get a yellow lab? Like go, like start with a different color and then see if you need, you know, like a different style, like a pointing dog or a different flusher. So when you start talking, Whitney, about like 
what Josh just said about checking all the boxes, what would your boxes be that you would, let's say one of your girlfriends come with, came with you and she said, Hey, my husband's just eaten up with duck hunting. I've been watching Josh. He wants to get into it bad. I need you to help me check these boxes. What and you, and I know that you already talked about the disposition in the family time. Um, mm-hmm. but some people don't want a male that piss, you know, pees all over everything, everything that, you know, every time that he's around some, even your waiters. I mean, that some, some of these males don't care. Right. But what are the boxes that you would help your girlfriend check to say, this is what I would get for sure. Here's why. And here's what we can help you with it, it coming, you know, being part of your kennel. Right. I would, you know, I look at, so they're family dogs, 365 days a year, whether they're out hunting or not, you know, when you're done hunting, they're usually in the cabin, in the lodge, somewhere with you. So they're still a family dog, even at the end of the day. So I'm always like, how much of an on switch do you want? All of them that are from us have an off switch. They're great family members, but how much of an on switch do you want? Do you want to take them walking every day? Do you want them to just relax at your feet while you're working? If you're working from home, like how much of an on switch for this puppy and how much time do you want to you know, almost like entertain this puppy, you know, how much do you want to do that per day or per week? And if, do you have a husband that travels? Do you have a husband that's at home? Um, What are you guys going to be doing outside? What activities are you going to be doing? So that's what I look at. Um, And I'd say Josh probably looks at the same, you know, how much of an on switch do you want? And our sires are so different in what they produce with their puppies. I'd say our puppies take about 85% of the sires and our sires range from strike who is the most mellow laid-back dog you could ever imagine to a Clyde who is extremely raring to go when he's in the field and then they fall anywhere in between so my go-to is always middle of the road temperament which I would say is a bud puppy most of the time um but then you veer you know I always start in the middle with bud and then I say how much do you want to work with them? How laid back do you want them? And then we kind of teeter one way or another after that. And a lot of times I would recommend maybe two, maybe three sires for people to get a puppy from. We don't just stick to the one sire because obviously we're only looking at one side of the breeding, right? Like what is now the female going to bring into that breeding that offsets these different characteristics of the male? Josh, yeah. when you hear Whitney's list, and, I, and I'm not, I don't want to interrupt you, Josh, but real quick, if you have, if you have a dog, um, you know, you have this mindset that I want that dog that that will go into the water with reckless abandon. I get safety is everything, right? We're always going to check and make sure that our dogs are safe at all time. But myself, I need a, a, a dog that just is nonstop during the mm-hmm. hunt. Obviously, the switch is very important to me. Um, can this be? You talk about breeding, but I want to just transition into your training methods, Josh and Whitney. Can it be taught? You know, like some people say, well, this part of a human being that that cannot be taught that that work ethic might not be able to be taught. That entrepreneurial spirit might not be able to be taught. That's something that you're born with. Um, there are a lot of things that can be instructed on and, 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 and taught from coaching and instruction, like I said. But can you teach that drive in a dog through training methods? Uh, no. No, I mean, the dog's going to have it, right? So, so this, so the way I like to, I, I'm a, I'm a sports guy, so I love sports analogies. So if I was a basketball coach and you brought me the water boy, of the team, and you said, all right, Josh, 
you have a year every single year or every single day of this year you can practice as much as you want with this water boy but at the end of that year he's got to be able to play michael jordan one-on-one right like a lot of us would laugh right like the water boy is not built like michael jordan doesn't have that drive doesn't have the natural ability doesn't have all the things you need to be a great player right now could the water boy get better and reach his own potential absolutely but to reach like it, it's 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 not realistic to say we could just take any dog train them and they're going to be elite right like that that's inside of them and so that's why finding the right dog is is right like you know someone like you or i that we travel we hunt a lot we need to have that dog with that high end you know and so for me like that's that's where whitney and i complement each other really well when it comes to producing puppies because i'm an extremely competitive person that's why you know i have my competitive background that's why i still hunt tested today that's why i think it's important to you know put our dogs out and prove what it is we're saying but i personally i want the fire breather right like i want that dog that is big drive big motor goes like i have uh, i have one dog that uh, made retrieve and i won't get into the story unless you want me to later on made retrieve in arkansas that the next year we were sitting at a cafe and the next table was talking about this retrieve that they heard about the year before it was that it was that retreat and so like i want that wow factor but I also understand that, that that's not for everybody. You know, some of the stuff that Whitney talked about there as far as like, what do you need? These are really important questions to ask yourself and be honest with yourself with, right? Because if, if you want to be a big hunter and you have these aspirations of, hey, I think in the next few years, you know, my work's going to settle down and I'm going to be able to hunt five times more than, than, I, than I currently do. Or I want to have that dog to show off to my buddies. Well, if you end up getting that fire breather, but you keep it at home, and it's going to drive you know, your wife and the kids nuts because the dog's not getting to do anything. That's not the dog's fault, right? That's what you wanted. But if you're not the right handler or the owner for that, it might be a bad situation. And so this is where finding the right dog for you is so important. And there's not a one size fits all, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, um, but you're right, Taylor, like, there's some of this stuff, you just can't teach it. You know, like we get the calls once in a while for training that's like, hey, you know, I got this dog. Uh, you know, I thought I'd save money on the puppy and put it into training. That way I can make sure that the dog is what I want it to be. And it just doesn't work like that. Like, could you get a great dog out of something that shouldn't be for sure? But you're now rolling the dice on a, a one in a million versus, you know, from a great breeding, maybe a one in a hundred or one in 50, right? Like your odds are just so much better to get exactly what you're looking for when you do the homework and get with the right breedings. So with your competitive nature, Josh, and with your laid back uh, attitude, um, <laughs> as far as being his husband, and I'm not saying that you're not competitive. I don't know your athletic background. You might be an unbelievable athlete. I'm not, I'm not um, assuming anything. So please do not take it that way, Whitney. But what I want to know is this with your, with your words, you just said, Josh, you know, you're competitive. You want that wow factor. That was your quote. I love that quote. Um, but you guys might balance each other in this question, the yin and the yang effect, if you will, please. When you get around a, a group of guys and they're like, hey, Josh, you mind if I bring my dog today? And you're like, okay, no problem. You know, it's it's your property. I get it. You want your lab out there. Okay, you get out there and he's whining, he's squealing, he's breaking, she's breaking. Are you guys bougie now a little bit and critical as they come about dogs? And do you have to, you have to, 
check your ego sometimes because I find myself doing this like pump the brakes building. It's okay. You're going to get through this hunt. But I find myself like if the dog is not trained and the dog is not living up. And I mean this when I say this is not living up to his or her potential because they weren't allotted that opportunity through the quality training program. And there's a lot of them out there, including your guys's kennel. Do you guys get frustrated or do you, is your patience level still intact like it would be if you're coaching your son or daughter's little league baseball or softball game and the ball's going through the shortstop's legs because they just don't have that experience? Is your patience level still there with dogs that aren't at your level of expectation? Um, okay, I'll go first. So I do a lot of upland hunting. I love pheasant hunting. It, just, it works really well with my schedule with taking the kids to school. Okay, I can hunt in the afternoon, pick them up from school, done. Um, I have turned down opportunities to go on hunts just because I don't want to put my dogs in an unfair situation to them. So I kind of am like, if I know I'm gonna go and there's you know, a dog that could take a bird out of my dog's mouth, like I'm not gonna put my dog in that situation that's unfair to them. So you could say we're a, I'm a little, maybe stuck up about it but at the end of the day i don't want to put my dogs in a bad situation but do you want to hunt with that dog that is that type of personality or do you find yourself being like well maybe i don't want to put myself in that situation of getting frustrated throughout the day yeah i don't want to put myself in that situation <laughs> are you the same way josh i see you shaking your head well, i have one more thing to add about do it i also think when we when people see our dogs they understand what type of a breeding we have and they then like the dogs speak for themselves so it's an eye opener that we don't even have to really say anything to other people they see it for themselves firsthand if we're out there hunting yeah i i think from a so i think i've gotten better at this over the years i i used to just pull my absolute hair out and i think part of it is like this is literally what i worked for all year long right mm -hmm. so like i love you know chasing ribbons and competing and training and showing off right but like it, this is why we do it, right? Like it's for, you know, these you know, few months that we get to travel, we get to put real, real feathers in the mouth and we get to do the whole deal, right? And um, so I used to get more frustrated about it because like, you know, every day in the field, especially one that is ruined by a dog, it's one that you don't get back, you know? And so here I, I'm sitting with a dog that I've worked my tail off and, and you know, have brought to this level and he, doesn't get uh, retrieved because the other dog's breaking and, and, you know, getting burst, you know, fair catching them out of the air, right? Or he's starting to, you know, look around getting anxious because that other dog's over there screaming and we're not finishing birds, right? And I used to get really frustrated about it, but what I learned over the years of watching this situation play out over and over again is it's more times than not the person, not the dog, right? It's the person that has, the owner has no control over the dog. The owner has not put in any time with this dog leading up to this point. The owner has no idea what they're doing. Like you could, you could put, you know, you could put me in a Ferrari, but if I can't drive a stick shift, like that pretty car is going to look really bad, not going anywhere, right. Or trying to go somewhere. And, and I think that's, that's this, you know, you could take a, a nice dog, like you said, doesn't have the training, doesn't have the work, doesn't have the experience and not look real great. Like we have, we've hunted with, you know, field champions that are, you know, they're, you know, field trial dogs have been great. You bring them out in the field and they look completely lost because they've never hunted. Like you put that dog in a field trial setup. Yeah. He's going to look awesome. Right. And in that situation, there's one in my uh, particular that, you know, a, a situation happened in Arkansas 
exact situation, right? Like we heard all about the, this dog's titles and everything he accomplished during the field trial season. We put him out there and this dog, like if, if you, if you just would have sat in, you're like, this dog is absolutely worthless. Like, yeah, because he's screaming, he's whining, he's barking, he's breaking, he's doing all these things. Right. Well, the guy's like, well, like, yeah, he could go run that 300 yard blind right now and impress you. It's like, that's great. But like, that's not what we're doing here. You know, like we're hunting, like he doesn't get a chance to run that blind if we can't finish birds and, and get him in gun range, you know? And so I've learned to kind of look at it differently, but I've also learned like Whitney was saying to try to avoid the situation. This is probably more so than anything of why we do what I call DIY hunts. Right. So like we head to North Dakota next week, like everything is grinding, right? Like, we're putting on the miles scouting. We're knocking on doors, getting permission. We're doing the setup because then I know what dogs are there, right? There are dogs and we don't even have to deal with the the situation. Yeah. Once in a while we do get thrown into, like you mentioned, like, Hey, like we're in Arkansas, we're not on birds. We got invited to get on this hunt where there are birds. Well, of course there's going to be another dog there. And we just have to accept the fact that this is likely going to happen. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's just, it's just handling the situation. Yeah. Yeah. I like the idea of forecasting and trying to prevent something that could end up in frustration or, you know, something that is going to, you, you're right. We live for this. We work so hard for this time of year and I don't, I don't want to even take a chance of having one bad day, which they are going to happen. I get it. You're going to get a hole in your waders. You're going to get a hunt that doesn't work out. You're going to get rain when you don't want rain. I mean, there's a lot of things that go in to a, a, a consistently successful waterfowl season and being able to, you know, forecast and prevent a situation that you don't need to be in and you don't want to be in. That's up to you. You know, that's, that's your right that you've, that you want to make sure that you give yourself the utmost opportunity to, to fulfill that dream that you have for that certain hunt. And I think that everybody has their own blank canvas and they can throw their own oils at it and try to create their masterpiece of a hunt. And one of my, you know, oils is that experience with a dog. It's, it's such a big part. We just got back from uh, Texas for Teal and then we went up to upstate New York for the, the molt migration of Canada geese. And I ran Duff, you know, Axel's getting ready to go to the Grand. So I ran Duff. In the first couple days, you know, you could see his timidness. He hadn't been on a bird in, since last season. And then boom, by, the, ninth, by the, the third day, all the way through the ninth, 10th, 11th, 12th day, I mean, he was like dirt rolling geese you know he'd, he'd be on him in a heartbeat he was marking well he was just so excited he lost a little bit of weight on each of the hunts and he was looking more athletic he was looking more poised his, his marks were, were more with precision he just his blinds were great his whistles were great his casts were great and you're just like if i wasn't doing this part of the hunt i'm just calling canada geese and shooting more canada geese which that's great I'm not, I'm unapologetic about killing Canada geese, but man, I love the fact that you can mix that dog and just getting the dog out in the morning, putting the collar on it, a vest if it calls for, and then putting that dog back up after the hunt and getting him to the lodge and letting him, you know, letting him or her relax. There's so much of the story of waterfowl hunting that goes with that chapter of the dog or several chapters of the dog. I just can't imagine doing it without. So let me ask you both this, Josh and Whitney. Um, I'm not a hard seller. I don't want to be Ricky Bobby. If you don't chew big red, then you know what I want to be more of, of consistent lifestyle and culture and why we love this. And I want to support brands that love it as much as I do and that you two do and that your family and you guys are breeding the next generation and you're nurturing the next generation of bird dog trainers and duck dog trainers and duck hunters and goose hunters, waterfowl hunters, if you will. But we're talking about Yukonuba on the Yukonuba Duck Dogs podcast here. Um, 
This is not a joke. This isn't like, hey, buy this windshield wiper fluid because, you know, this celebrity's endorsing it on a NASCAR. This, this is reputation. This is safety and health. This is a human life of a dog, male or female, depending on, the, you know, whatever breed it is. This isn't something that you guys take lightly. So when you put your name and your kennel name and say we're part of Yukonuba, I, I expect and suspect that you guys do it with thinking it out and with good reason. So why Yukonuba? Why do all of your clients come through there and see those bags in your feeding area? They see the stickers on your trucks and trailer. They see you doing seminars and wearing clothes. Why Yukonuba? Whitney, you go first. Oh, gosh. Okay, so there there is so much that Yukonuba does behind the scenes that people don't see for instance when they started a new, when they start a new blend they have people like us that are in the field with our dogs with our puppies they have us go through extensive time and um try out this food and they sent us a scale they would send us a um measuring cup they would send us all these diagrams and documents of things that we had to record every single week when we were trying out these new formulas and so the amount of information they take from us and from anyone else that they have trying out their food they compile it together because they want to know how it is working in the field before they even put it on the shelves for anyone else and i'm like when they're trying to take that much time to get other people's inputs and then they'll reconfine it if they need to that's a huge deal to me that they're trying to make this the best possible before letting anyone just grab it off the shelves. And for instance, their um, their puppy pro formula that they just came out with in April, it's incredible. It is expensive food. I think it's the most expensive food um, for puppies on the market, but I truly believe it is the absolute best food. When I am feeding my puppies, making mush, feeding my mamas to it and seeing these huge differences in their stools and their coats and their energy level. And then, you know, and then you fall be with the people that are behind all of it. And they're just great people to work with. It just, everything comes full circle. Well, wait a minute, Whitney, I want to get this right. So you're saying that your husband, Josh, can drive an $80,000 truck, shoot a $2,000 Benelli, $28 a box, black cloud. He can wear waders that just ran him 700 bones, a waiter jacket for 600 that he just got. Um, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know exactly what he wears, but I'm assuming that with the logo he's wearing right now, that he's got some pretty spendy, uh, um, duck gear. And then all of a sudden you're paying $6 a gallon for fuel, not just for your rig, but for your boat and for your UTV, which he's probably got two or three of those, not just at the kennel, but one. (laughs) So you're telling me that we're going to cut corners on a, on a, the price of a bag of dog food on the most important part of the hunt. There's no way we can think like that. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, our, yeah, our dogs are our family members. We want to make sure they're eating the best. But I mean, we spend so much money on gear and we don't even <laughs> think twice about it. We're like, right. oh, really? The Benelli's got a new Super Black Eagle 3 out. I need two of those. And then I'm going to send it to Rob Roberts and spend another, you know, whatever it takes to get it customized out. And I'm going to get my logo for my kennel on it. And then all of a sudden I'm like, well, gosh, dang, that bag of dog food is expensive. Like, I've never understood that mentality. I, I, I'm thinking like for 3 to $4 a day that you could have the best diet, scientific proof, biological recommended. Russell Kelly going to the headquarters up there in Ohio. I don't know if I was there the same time you guys have been there. Were we together? 
together at the Kentucky Derby? Were we all? <laughs> no. Were you guys okay? So we weren't there, but I was there then. And the research, like you, the, like you touched on, Whitney, is amazing. And I'm not <laughs> saying that other brands aren't there out, out there doing it, but I would bet that a lot of them aren't this extensive and this qualified. Right. So I've never understood that mentality that for a couple bucks a day. We could be putting into our dogs, him or her, the absolute best to lengthen their lives, prevent injury, better coats, better gums, better teeth, better stools. I mean, you just checked off a bunch of boxes and there's a lot more on top of that. Okay, Josh, you go. Well, I, I think you're absolutely spot on you know, with mm-hmm. what you're saying. Chad. I think one of the things that I always think is, is comical when we start talking about this stuff is like, I think we can all agree that the majority of people out there, probably all of us included, we humanize our dogs. Right, at least to an extent, there's certain areas we humanize the dogs, but it's amazing how, if you look at, if we're generalizing here, but you look at a lot of people, they'll humanize their dogs until it's not convenient to humanize them anymore, right? So this is one of them, right? Like, oh, it's not convenient all of a sudden to think about, you know, now I don't want to humanize them because now we're talking about dog food and I can save some money here, right? Like, we all know that for us to feel the best, to perform the best, to be in the best shape, both mentally and physically, it's what we put in our bodies. Right. And to think that we could skip that and the dogs should just overcome that and be who they should be is a little ridiculous, you know? So, so the nutrition is an incredible thing. And for us at the kennel, you know, we took years of testing it on our dogs, on the dogs in kennel before we, we went ahead and said, yeah, because you know, Chad, I'm sure you guys are exactly the same, but like for us, it seems like it's a weekly occurrence that a new company is contacting us, wanting us to do something with them. And we're not going to do it unless we truly believe in a product. Right. And so a lot of time, you know, I have no business of, or I have no uh, interest in being a NASCAR ad either. So we're going to be selective in in who we work with anyway. But I, I was very critical at first as you know, like, if I'm going to switch all my dogs over food wise, you got to show me why. Mm -hmm. Well, after about a year, I knew the why. Like I was watching dogs that, you know, their energy levels were better. I was watching my dogs and on some of these major hunts, we're going to need two days off to recover, to get back, you know, to where I could push them again. All of a sudden that's gone. Recovery time is way faster. I'm seeing their coats, their teeth, their weight, their, everything is, is better. And then the big one was for me in the kennel is that, you know, I was having to double or triple feed dogs to keep weight on them. Right. Because we're working a lot. And if the food isn't right, the dogs can't keep up you know, with weight wise. And it doesn't matter. You could communicate until you're blue in the face with a client that, hey, you know, Duke's just, you know, he's, he's getting a little light. We bumped him up. We're double feeding him. Okay, great. Another couple of weeks go by. Hey, yeah, he's still not, we're, we're triple feeding him, right? Like we're, it's costing us like crazy to feed the dog, but we're trying to get him to weight. Okay. Communicate, communicate, communicate. When that owner comes and sees the dog is underweight, it's your fault right? It's my fault, right? It's not the food's fault, right? So like, we're sitting here going, I don't know what else to do. Like we're doing everything we can. We're getting veterinary advice, we're doing all stuff. The food changed that. Mm-hmm. And we, and I can honestly say this year, we have not had a single issue with that. And it's all because of the nutrition. And so it, it's such a pivotal point of everything we do. I'm a, I'm a huge fan of business, entrepreneurial spirit, and a big part of my mindset is marketing. I love the art of marketing and the art of negotiation with the customer, creating curiosity, creating demand, moving the needle, if you will, creating an ROI on your business or your product, your manufacturing. But one thing that really bugs me is that and we've gotten away with it for years. I mean, you could watch a Lucky Charms commercial and be like, oh, my gosh, 
I got to feed that to my kid. Well, there's nothing worse in the world than to feed a kid of just pure sugar. I'm not trying to tell people how to parent. So please don't call in and say who did, how dare you? Because I ate Lucky Charms. I even ate McDonald's once in a while growing up. I'm not saying that we shouldn't. We still do. I mean, how many duck hunters get a Casey's breakfast pizza? When you go in there, you're like, I'm going to look for the most healthy, nutritional apple and banana I can. And then, bam, you got two pieces of Casey's breakfast pizza in Wichita, Kansas, before you go set up in the marsh. It's crazy, crazy how bad you get off your routine during duck season, no matter how committed you are in the off season. But my question is, is that Josh and Whitney's, how many of these dog food companies are truly and legitimately pulling the wool over people's eyes with their branding, their bags, their design, their messaging. I've seen so many pop up to where I'm like, I want to see the proof in the pudding. I want to see the data. I want to see the research, the testing. Um, you don't get that with a lot of the things. And it's it, there's a lot of marketing out there that is made to create, obviously, cash mm-hmm. register rings, right? There's so many choices of dog food when you go into a tractor supply or a Petco or a PetSmart or you name it. Go to Chewy.com and look at how many choices there are. <clears throat> in your guys' opinion, do you think a lot of people get tricked in marketing when it comes to how they feed their pets? Well, I, I think you can say across the board with a lot of these brands, mm-hmm. right? Like, I mean, does pick doesn't even matter the industry, right? Pick a lot of the brands a lot of them don't truly care you know, with what they're doing, right? I mean, how many outdoor businesses are are producing products that very few, if any of the people inside the, the company are outdoorsmen, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, there, there's a lot of that out there. Um, you know, and, and I can't speak to the other brands, right? Cause I don't know, but what I can speak to is I do, uh, I know for a fact what goes into the Yukonuba and I know for a fact what testing and the money that is invested in this. And that's one of the things that quite frankly, you know, with, with Yukonuba having Mars behind them, like, I, I just don't know how many other companies even have the checkbook that they're able to write to put into, you know, the, the testing and the, the production and the research and the development. Like, the, there's a lot of finances behind this. This stuff doesn't just happen overnight, right? So, like, it, it's incredible what goes into feeding your dog. And I, like you'd mm-hmm. mentioned, okay, yeah, it's, it's a couple dollars more, right? But you're putting the best food into your dog, right? So if you care about that dog as much as you say you do, the nutrition is a huge part of that. Yeah. Here's I mean, a I qu- say, oh, sorry, Whitney, go ahead. But I was just going to say, feed, you know, making sure you feed the right food is going to even help you just save visits to the vet. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. you're not going to have a loose stool. You're, they're going to have the correct weight on them and they're going to have nicer teeth. You're not going to have to put them under to do a nice teeth cleaning. You know, I mean, it saves you so much money by purchasing the right nutrition for your dog. I couldn't agree more. Very well said. It's a great way to think about it too, that you're going to save money in the long run on other things. Mm-hmm. Um, Josh, talk to me real quick about, I always ask trainers this and I want you guys, Whitney to go second on their upland, but I'm going duck hunting. We're, we're, we're at a boat ramp in Arkansas. It's, it's going to be a little bit cold. It's going to be a low of a low of 28 and a high of 41. It's going to be bluebird skies, nice wind. All the leaves are off the tree. So we're going to have to really watch our hide. We're going to be kicking the water. We're going to be slapping our waders. We're going to be calling like crazy to break them down. Like I'm trying to paint this vivid picture. But when we start feeling that anticipation of the hunt, we can't 
forget about the dog. And the, I know him or her is going to be ready. They're going to, I mean, a dog could be sleeping is I, I've never understood this. Like how come human beings can't be like that? Like as soon as you touch them, they're like up and ready to jump into freezing cold water. Like a Navy seal is like that. Right. But most human beings are like, man, I need my coffee. I need to stretch out. I need my, I, you know, all this stuff. So do we feed our dogs when we know we're going to get into a high intense hunt, lots of retrieves, lots of swimming, colder water. Do we carry, do we carry some snacks? Do we carry some kibble? Do we, we have an extra bite of our egg McMuffin in there. Is it okay to feed a dog human food once in a while? I want to get your guys' mentality on this because I think that it's very important. Like, do we let him hunt on an empty stomach, maybe give him a tiny bit in the morning and then let him hunt kind of hungry and then feed him good after what is protocol for your guys' kennel. And when you guys are out on your hunts. Hmm. Well, so, so for our feedings, what we are, are, mainly doing is we're doing once a day feedings in the evening for a number of reasons. Um, one is how a dog digests a meal, right? So, um, you know, a dog digests a meal usually takes about 12 hours for them to, to digest. And there's a lot of studies out there that a dog performs better when the stomach and colon are depleted, right? So you feed the dog, you, the dog digests, they're able to get that waste out and they can now perform better, right? At a higher, higher rate. So this is, um, I've heard it referred to as a marathon runner. Like you wouldn't, you wouldn't eat a big meal and then go run a race, right? You you run better light. Like you're gonna carb up the night before, right? But you're not gonna. I'm not a marathon runner by any means, so I don't know how they do it. But that's how I've been. You know, explained it, um, and I can tell you that it, it does make a difference. Like these dogs do perform better. Now, when you start talking about a dog that is going to be cold. And we're, we're hoping to help with warmth. We're hoping to help with, with that kind of you know, that energy. Um, I think feeding a little in the morning is not a bad thing, but we want to make sure that we feed it well before, not on the hunt in the field, not, you know, a half hour before they're going to be working because what happens is, is that these dogs eat and these kibbles will expand in, in their their uh, digestive tract or their stomach when they get wet and it can cause problems like stomach bloat or torsion is always something we think about when those dogs get in the, the environment if we have a big meal that is now expanded in their stomach and now we're going to go your work and and ask that dog to perform at a high level so now so for me if i'm going to air anyway I always err towards I'm feeding once a day in the evenings. Um, and you know, for us, like, I don't, I don't mind at all. If you're like, Hey, I'm going to give, I'm going to give Duke a couple, you know, scrambled eggs, or I'm going to, you know, especially, you know, some of these dogs and this is dog to dog, right? Some of these dogs get really stressed out when you travel, they don't want to eat. Right. Or they're just, I had one dog that would get so obsessed when we were hunting. Anytime we did anything, he would literally just sit at my side and look at me. Like he didn't want to, if, if he, he felt if he wasn't with me, I was going to go hunt without him. And he was so adamant that anywhere I went, he had to be, he wouldn't eat. Right. So I had to be hamburgers. I had to be, you know, doing something just to get him, you know, something in his, in his belly and get him fed. So there's always going to be those exceptions, but that's where I really like, you know, just being consistent. Consistency is key, right? Like if you can stay consistent with what you're doing, you're hoping that as long as your dog can handle it, that consistency will help them. You're like there's a lot that changes during hunting season. The more consistent we can be, whether that's our routine, whether that's our feeding schedule, it's just going to help the dog not get as stressed out with all this new stuff going on. So before Whitney goes, you're saying that it's not detrimental to a dog's health to let him or her hunt for five hours, depending on the flight, 
be a little cold, be wet, go home, eat in the evening, get aired out, wake up, you know, four o'clock, five o'clock the next morning, do it all again and not eat until the following evening. That's totally okay. As long as you're getting results out of that dog, it's not going to hurt that dog one way or the other. Right now, what we might do, especially on these big hunts, right? Like we might bump the feeding up mm-hmm. Like we might give them some extra, right? Like we're exerting more. So it just makes more sense that you might have more that has to go in. Right. But, but that's what, that's what we, that's what we oftentimes do. Like you said, I don't have a problem if you're going to give like a little meal, like one of the things we just talked to you Kanuba, about this uh, last week, as we were kind of talking about um, as we move into the season, kind of what changes to make. And what they had said was if you're going to feed, so say if you, if you feed four cups a day, right, that morning meal, do maybe 25% of it, mm-hmm. right? So do a cup in the morning and three cups in the evening because that, that three cups in the e- evening, that's still going to be where your dog is going to recover overnight. It's where they're going to build their energy back up. It's where they can deplete and kind of empty their system again. And then that morning meal can still be, it can still give that dog energy, right? It can still give that dog a little something, but we don't want to feed a major meal in the morning, especially when we're going to go ask them to work and perform at a high level right you know right there soon after and so that's kind of the the breakdown that they had given me was if you're going to do a, say a four cup you know meal do 25 percent or one cup in the morning do three cups in the evening and that helps them kind of regulate that you know throughout the day perfect advice miss whitney would you say that it kind of stays along the same line lines for you and your upland hunts yeah i absolutely do i mean i like to like josh said we like to say very consistent um when they're out running, the last thing I want is something in their stomach, just in case it were to cause any type of bloat or contortion or anything like that. They have been fed once a day for, you know, 360 days. And now we're going to go and, you know, I don't want to switch up what they are used to, especially when it comes to feeding. Makes perfect sense. I want to contact your kennel. Where do we go? Do we call you guys and get kind of a synopsis and layout of the programs offered? Can we go online and find this? Do you guys have an exciting social media platform that we can keep up with all these hunts and all these different dogs, the sires, the puppies? Um, Oh, I think, did you just call a dog over there? You got one in there? Our our daughter is peeking around the corner going, what are you guys doing? (laughs) Oh, your daughter. That's awesome. What's her name? Ava. She's three and a half. Ava. Hi, Ava. I don't see you, but hello, Ava. Um, So talk to me about where our our listeners can find you. Do you have Mm -hmm. to live in Wisconsin to get your services? Can we ship a dog there? Can we transport a dog there? Can we drive our dog there? Talk to us a little bit about how we find you as we go out with another episode of You Can Duck Dog Podcast. Absolutely. So literally all the above. You can find us on riverstonekennels.com. You can find us on Instagram. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on TikTok. Um, we're very active within our stories on Facebook and Instagram. I do a ton of litter updates, puppy updates, breeding updates. Josh does a ton of social media hunting stories, um, which is really cool for everyone to basically follow along over these next 90 days that he's going to be out in the field. And then if you want our services, we work literally all around the world. We have um, had puppies from Canada, from Alaska, from Russia, from the UK, from you name it, basically anywhere. And our website has my number on there for puppies and our kennel office on there for training. 
Riverstone Kennels at Riverstone Kennels. Um, one thing, Josh, I'd like you to do, if you don't mind, is just on your social media over the next few weeks, at least in North Dakota, just go ahead and drop um, pins of where all the mallards are, giving our, <laughs> our listeners the the, uh, the easy access to your hunting spots. I think that'd yeah. be a cool service for you guys to start uh, offering <laughs> yeah. over there. I appreciate yeah. y'all being on, man. I wish y'all the best this season. We'll have to do this again. Hopefully hook up on a hunt and a cold beer, Arkansas, Wisconsin, somewhere one day. That'd be awesome. That sounds great, I man. should say that again. I should say that again. I don't want to... Uh, make people think we're going to have a cold beer during a hunt. I absolutely shun down on that. Uh, a hunt and then a cold beer well after the hunt to celebrate <laughs> the hunt and the kinship and the camaraderie and the stories and the memories. You guys are awesome, man. Congratulations on all the success. Thank Thanks, you. Man. I really appreciate it. I really appreciate the time and love following along with what you're doing. Well, thank you for that. Let's get together one day and uh, hopefully we're at a Yukonuba event shortly. Um, I know we've been, there's some ramblings going on that there's going to be some cool events uh, coming up in the near future now that the pandemic is laying down. Y'all be good. Stay safe in the field. Say hi to all the dogs. Say hello to your kids. And y'all make sure that you guys check these two out online. They are awesome and uh, they know what they're doing. Next time we have Josh on, I want to hear a little bit of his, uh, his little duck calling routine, some feeder chatter. What do you call it? A chuckle or a chatter, Josh? What's the right word? I'm a chuckle guy. You're a chuckle guy, huh? I think most people in Wisconsin are chuckle guys. I was just in New York with a guy named Joel Cleefish. I don't know if you've seen Joel on any of our stuff lately. He is an absolute stud. He's a lobbyist there for Handicap Hunters, uh, Safari Club International, Delta Waterfowl, just works his butt off. His his uh, his wife, Rebecca, was just running for your Republican governor nod and got beat in the very last second, um, which I was so sad about. But the Cleefish family is an Amer- is an awesome family but this guy is you guys got to get together with him up there and cook with him he he did gator euros for us he did uh he did canada goose liver pate for us in new york in new york goose camp so he's out of the box another great human being i know for the state of wisconsin thank you all for being here another episode of you Canuba's duck dog podcast i'm chad belding we'll be back at you with another episode this is 2am logic the song is called my foul life Soul, I'm riding hard and never quit.